Thank you for tuning in this morning to the worship broadcast of Bowglade Alliance Church. Bowglade Alliance Church is located at 425 East Canal Street North in Bowglade uh, with live worship services every Sunday at 11 a.m. For more information, visit us online at www.bowgladealliance.org. Now let's join Pastor Kevin for this morning's message. Today we're going to continue in Acts 18, starting in verse 18. Uh, Paul has been in Corinth, and we're going to talk a little bit about the passage that led up to today, and we're going to read our passage today and understand what God has for us in this text. Uh, But if you have your Bibles with you, please turn with me to Acts chapter 18, starting in verse 18. Paul is starting out in this passage in Corinth, and yes, it's the same Corinth that we read about in 1 Corinthians and in 2 Corinthians. Uh, And and we're seeing the account of Paul having established this church. And then what happens in this city, in this church, after Paul leaves, uh, as well as where Paul goes from there and what God does as Paul moves forward to raise up leaders behind him to continue the work of the ministry among those places that were just reached with the gospel. And so here's what we read in Acts chapter 18, starting in verse 18. It says, Paul stayed on in Corinth for some time. Then he left the brothers and sisters and sailed for Syria, accompanied by Priscilla and Aquila. Before he sailed, he had his hair cut off at Cancre because of a vow that he had taken. They arrived at Ephesus, where Paul left Priscilla and Aquila. He himself went into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. When they asked him to spend more time with them, he declined. But as he left, he promised, I will come back if it is God's will. Then he set sail from Ephesus. When he landed at Caesarea, he went up to Jerusalem and greeted the church and then went down to Antioch. After spending some time in Antioch, Paul set out from there and traveled from place to place throughout the region of Galatia and Phrygia, strengthening all the disciples. Meanwhile, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was a learned man with a thorough knowledge of the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and he spoke with great fervor and taught about Jesus accurately, though he knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue. When Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they invited him to their home and explained to him the way of God more adequately. When Apollos wanted to go to Achaia, the brothers and sisters encouraged him and wrote to the disciples there to welcome him. When he arrived, he was a great help to those who by grace had believed. For he vigorously refuted his Jewish opponents in public debate, proving from the scriptures that Jesus was the Messiah. It's interesting, as we've gotten to this point in Acts, we tend to follow the story of Paul. And so there was a point where we saw the early church, we saw others, we saw Peter, we saw Philip, and then all of a sudden we saw the beginning of Paul's story, and Luke just kind of follows Paul's timeline through his various missionary journeys, through the various spread of the gospel to new regions, and even the building up of the church, uh, the the new Christians continuing in their discipleship. And Paul seems to be the center of attention through all of this. And yet in our passage today, while Paul has mentioned other people, are given more pride of place in this passage. And I think that there's something significant to see there in what God is doing 
not, even, not just in Paul, but around Paul in these various areas that God has called his church to spread. And so we see a couple things in our text today. We see that Paul had in mind the mission that God had laid out for him, and he had to stay on task. We saw this, this, this leading of the Lord and this following closely of Paul for the last several weeks. In fact, if you remember, uh, Paul, after he had begun his second missionary journey and he had checked back in with the various churches that had planted, checked on the new disciples, it was time to venture out to regions beyond to pioneer the gospel in other areas. And he and his team had a plan. They knew where they were going to go. And yet God spoke to Paul in a dream and gave him a major course correct. It's not that the places that Paul wanted to go were bad places. Those are probably places that just needed the gospel just as much. But God's priority, God's plan, knowing the beginning from the end and how the gospel would spread and who would be receptive and all the things that God knows that we don't, and even Paul didn't, Paul was sent by God to Macedonia. And so he followed the Lord where the Lord leaded, where the Lord led. There you go. That's better English for you teachers that were about to yell at me later. That's a good lesson for us anyway, isn't it? You know, we have plans, and it's okay to make plans, but we better hold them loosely because God knows better than we do. And when God calls us to go somewhere, we better be willing to let go of our plans and follow where the Lord leads. And so we see that here in this text too. In a passage that if you read it quickly, you may think, well, that was insensitive. They're inviting you to stay. Why wouldn't you stay? Or I think of it in this terms. I remember reading the last couple chapters and Paul just has hard road, hard road, hard road. In fact, in Corinth, we saw last week that the, the people in the synagogue were so opposed to the gospel, he literally threw his hands up, rebuked them, and went next door to minister to the Gentiles. He was tired of it. And now the next town he goes to, he's in another synagogue in another town, and they're not only receptive, but they want him to stay. And I got to imagine the temptation, especially after those hard cities. Man, this is easy ministry. Man, God's doing things. They're excited about this. Maybe I just camp out here for a few months. But what do we see Paul do instead? We see him decline the offer. We see this in verses 19 through 21. He says, they arrived at Ephesus where Paul had left Priscilla and Aquila. He himself went into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. When they asked him to spend more time with them, he declined. But as he left, he promised, I will come back if it is God's will. And that he set sail from Ephesus. And so here we see that Paul, while I'm sure that everything in him wanted to stay, I can't imagine it being any different, he knew that the Lord was calling him elsewhere. The task that the Lord had given him was so big, so huge, that he had to stay on task. And so he had to move on. Have you ever had to move on from something before you thought the work was done? Did you ever leave a job or retire and think, Oh, man, the poor people have to take up after I leave. There's so much I wish I had done before I left. Or you go to visit a family member and you're helping them out with something and you have to leave. But you just wish you had a little more time because you know there's more that has to be done. I could only imagine that Paul, as he was leaving, was thinking about all the ministry that still had to be done. All the things that still needed to take place. And so as he set sail, leaving that area to follow where God was leading... There had to be a huge amount of trust 
in the Lord, that he had things well in hand, despite the fact that Paul himself had to leave. For those of you who don't know this, I was once a CVS store manager. That was among the worst experiences I've ever had in my entire life. I've managed several stores in my past. I've been a district manager for a cell phone company, but CVS was a beast. And I'll tell you, it just, I was not built to be a CVS store manager. Here's why. Because I'm one who likes to settle into the details and do things right. According to what I thought had to be done right, it had to be perfect. And so we had these things called planograms. If you've ever worked in retail or had to set anything up, it's, it's every shelf in every CVS store and many other retail stores around the world, it's, it's understood that on, sh- on section number two, shelf number three, here's exactly the products you're gonna find, whether it's a single placement, a double placement, all that. Here's the stickers and the price tags and what's going to be there. Everything is laid out perfectly. The shelves have to be cleaned. Everything has to be taken down. Expiration dates need to be checked. Things need to be aligned just right. So when your district manager came in, it's all according to the planogram. Here's why I was awful as a CVS store manager. There are a lot of things I did well in management, but when it came to things like that, I was a perfectionist and it had to be just right. And if you can imagine, that took an exorbitant amount of time. So much so that other things tend to fall behind as I dedicated all my time to that. And my district manager came to me and said, Kevin, you're the nicest person I work with. And you do a lot of things well, but you're not going to cut it if you can't speed it up. (laughs) You know, Paul probably could have spent years. He could have spent the rest of his life in Ephesus. He could have continued to do the work. He could have done it the way he knew it should be done. He could have been training up numerous leaders. He could have been really investing his time to make sure things were just right at this church. But as we continue on in Acts, you're going to see all the other places Paul goes, and even those places that the the book of Acts doesn't mention, but you know he went, and he had to keep moving. I'm sure Paul was faithful and thorough, but when a specific work was done, he had to move on to the next specific work. But this must beg the question, doesn't it? I'm sure it begged the question for Paul, even though he trusted the Lord, and it begs the question for us, looking at this historically, well, what happened when Paul left? Who goes behind Paul? Who continues the work? Who continues the discipleship of these new believers that just came to faith in Jesus, and they need somebody to walk alongside them? Who continues to evangelize those who weren't ready to receive the gospel the first time they heard it from Paul, but need to hear it again, or need to have their questions or objections answered, and are willing to dig deeper, even inviting him to stay and continue to teach, but who goes behind now that Paul is gone? And if the task is this huge that Paul is called to, certainly he can't do it alone. So who else is going with him? Who else is doing similar things than Paul that the gospel may go forth? Now, I want to give you a word of encouragement. Apparently, God had this all worked out, or the gospel would not have continued for 2,000 years to our day. The church would not have built to be all around the world if God did not have this well in hand. And here's some things as I was reflecting on these various questions. On the one hand, 
The new believers continued the work even after Paul went, right? New believers, passionate about Jesus. No, they don't know everything. But these new believers went on to continue to spread the gospel. And the most mature believers among them probably took the reins of leadership and kept things moving. In fact, Paul probably put some of that in place before he moved on. And on the other hand, certainly more missionaries, more leaders of leaders are necessary for such a huge task as what Paul himself is going and doing in each of these cities. And guess what? This is exactly what we see in our text for today, that God had this idea of what other leaders needed to be raised up in mind, and God was faithful to make it so. And so let's take a look at some of these from our text today. We see first these two names dropped that if you were here last week or you've read the previous 17 verses, you know that these two names. Priscilla and Aquila. Aquila is the husband, Priscilla is the wife, and they're both mentioned multiple times in Acts chapter 18. Here's what we read in 18.18. Paul stayed on in Corinth for some time, then he left the brothers and sisters and sailed for Syria, accompanied by Priscilla and Aquila. Before he sailed, he had his hair cut off at Cancri because of a vow he had taken. So we heard a little bit last week about these two people, this husband and wife, Aquila and Priscilla. These are two individuals who had a home, who had a business. They were in Rome. They were Roman citizens. Well, I don't know if they were Roman citizens, but they lived in Rome. They were citizens of the city of Rome. This is where their home was. This was their livelihood. Everything, their family, their friends, their businesses, their trade, everything, the place where they worshiped, it all was in the city of Rome. But something major happened in history, something major happened in their lives, which is this, that Emperor Claudius uh, expelled all the Jewish people from Rome. The Jews who believed in Jesus and the Jews that didn't believe in Jesus, all of them were exiled from their land. And so now you have Priscilla and Aquila and all the other Jews of Rome living as, as refugees, living as exiles from their homes, from their families, from their friends, from their jobs, displaced people somewhere else in the world. And so they just happened in their migrations to find a place to live. They happened into Corinth. And they happened to bump into this weird guy named Paul. And they just so happened to be in the same trade that Paul was trained in. They were both tent makers. And when they bumped into each other and got to know each other, they went into business together. And they learned to do life together and eventually ministry together. Man, that's a, that's a whole lot of coincidence, isn't it? I don't think any of that was a coincidence. Here's just some of the what ifs. What if Emperor Claudius did not expel the Jews from Rome? Right? Jews had lived in Rome for a long time. After Claudius' death, Jews continued to live in Rome. What if Emperor Claudius hadn't done that? What if Aquila and Priscilla were exiled from Rome, but they just settled somewhere other than Corinth? What if Aquila had any other trade besides tent making? Anything that distinguished him from Paul? And where many might see coincidence, we see the foreknowledge and the sovereignty of God raising up leaders for just such a time as this. So we see Priscilla and Aquila. We also see another one mentioned in our text today, another leader that God was raising up, a man by the name of Apollos. And here's what it says in our text, verses 24 through 28. 
Meanwhile, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was a learned man with a thorough knowledge of the scriptures. He'd been instructed in the way of the Lord, and he spoke with great fervor and taught about Jesus accurately, though he knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogues. When Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they invited him to their home and explained to him the way of God more adequately. When Apollos wanted to go to Achaia, the brothers and sisters encouraged him and wrote to the disciples there to welcome him. When he arrived, he was a great help to those who by grace had believed, for he he vigorously refuted his Jewish opponents in public debate, proving from the scriptures that Jesus was the Messiah. And so here we see this Jewish man, a Hellenized Jew, somebody who's probably taken to Greek culture, even his very name is not a Jewish name, but a Greek name. And here, but he was a Jewish man. He had grown up in the scriptures, or at least come to learn them. He was a well-learned man, and he had known about Jesus. It says he knows the baptism of John. And so he knew something of the forerunner of Jesus, John the Baptist, who pointed to Jesus. He knew things about Jesus. In fact, what he knew, he knew well. But we see in the text that he had perhaps a rudimentary understanding, or there was more that he needed to know, or more that he could proclaim to others. And we see that he received that from, guess what? Those that God raised up, Priscilla and Aquila. And we see something, I think, that is an encouragement. So I'm going to just take a little moment here and say this. You know, how often do we not step into moments God has put in front of us? either to minister one to another or to spread the gospel out there because we feel we're not quite prepared. We're not equipped enough. We haven't had enough practice. We, we don't know enough. What if an objection comes that I don't have the answer to? What if I don't explain things well? What if I, make, what if I muddy the water so much I push them farther from Jesus than when we begin talking? I mean, don't tell me those fears don't go through your mind. And I know at many points in history, those have gone through mine as well. But here's what we see about Apollos. He was a learned man, sure. But even the things he knew about Jesus were very rudimentary. Yeah, he spoke accurately, but he could speak a whole lot more adequately if somebody would just come along and talk to him. But guess what? That didn't stop him from having a dynamic ministry. And his willingness to continue to grow just made that ministry all the more effective. So I just say that as an encouragement to us all. You're never going to know everything. Apollos didn't, not even Paul did. But you step out in boldness and God will honor that and be willing to continually learn that God can sharpen us and make us more effective in the ministry that he has called us to. But again, God did it again. He raised up another leader in the church, Apollos. Here's something interesting I want to draw your attention to here. Paul left the area. He had to leave Ephesus to go to the next point and the next point and the next point that God had called him to. But he had to wonder who on earth is going to continue the work that God has started in and through me. And this is exactly what we see Apollos doing. Where did Apollos go? Here's what we see. The first place is Ephesus. The very place that Paul ministered in and was asked to stay but couldn't, Apollos was raised up to go there first. And so God raised Apollos up behind Paul. And so when Paul wondered, well, who's going to continue this work, this work they're calling out for, God gave a direct answer 
here's Apollos to continue to do the work that Paul started. But what's even more interesting than, than this is that he continues on that trajectory because the next place he asks permission to go or he expresses to the brothers and sisters he wants to go is Achaia. Now, we might not see Achaia or be able to put the pieces together, but Achaia is the region where Corinth sits as the capital city. And so Paul has just been in Corinth, one of the other places he spent considerable time, a year and a half, but had to leave despite the fact that the ministry had to continue. And here comes Apollos. Apollos comes to that capital city and he has a powerful ministry. How do we know he has a powerful ministry? Because in the opening chapters of 1 Corinthians, he's mentioned as one of the respected leaders in the church that many have fallen in behind. And so Apollos goes behind Paul and continues to work. God is faithful at raising up the leaders that need to lead the church in its given times. The church needs leaders, and God raises up leaders. Here's what John Maxwell has said. I like this definition of a leader. He says this, a leader is one who knows the way, goes the way, and shows the way. Tell me that's not a great, great definition. A leader is one who knows the way, who goes the way, and shows the way. So if you had a leader who doesn't know the truth, who doesn't know the way, who doesn't know what he's talking about, he really ought not be leading. If you have a leader who knows the way, but doesn't go the way, what, what kind of leader is that? A hypocrite especially if he's proclaiming to others, and one that shows the way, that leads others in the way. This is who Paul was. This is who Apollos was. This is who Aquila and Priscilla were. And God raises up such leaders. God calls such leaders. I believe that definition, though not from the scriptures, is certainly in line with what we see of the Bible's call to leaders. In the church today, there are many different kinds of leaders I'm sure you're familiar with most of them. We have missionaries. In fact, in our church, we support two couples, uh, one in Division Miami and one in West Africa, both doing wonderful work. And that is a specific type of ministry leadership, one that you or I may not be called to, but God calls the right people to the right tasks. And among those are missionaries. There are denominational leaders. You may not know their names. You may not know much about what goes on in the Christian Missionary Alliance beyond your local church here, but God has raised up leaders at various different levels to be able to support, encourage, and help the church to thrive in its various areas, as well as to plant new churches that people might hear and respond to the gospel. There are pastors, there are elders, there are deacons and deaconesses, and there are lay leaders, and we have all of those represented in our church family here. And believe me, God has raised up all of those leaders in your midst. If you serve as an Awana leader, that is, that, is, that is because God has gifted you with something to contribute, has called you, and you have stepped into that. Maybe he didn't speak to you in a dream, maybe a pillar of cloud, or it didn't appear before you. You didn't hear a voice from a burning bush, but God has led you and you have obediently stepped forward in the leadership that God has called you to. In all of these, we are thankful to God and we trust that you are living out God's call on your life. God raises up such leaders. He does this in various ways. 
He gifts these people with natural talents. We all have natural talents. Every single one of us. In fact, every single one of us has been gifted with natural talents that God can use for ministry in the church and mission outside the church. And those who are called to leadership have been given special uh, talents that cohere with the mission that they have. He has enabled them to gain necessary experience. He's allowed the passions that they have in their life to develop, to lead them in the direction that he's calling them. He's gifted them with special abilities by the Holy Spirit. He's called them to their various leadership roles, and he walks with them in these roles. And that's true for your deacons and deaconesses, your elders, your governing board, your pastor, your Awana leaders, everybody who steps into those roles. And so if you're a leader and you're thinking, I have no idea what I'm doing here. I just show up. I'm a warm body. Use me as you need me. You know, and you think low of yourself. God doesn't think low of you. He knows how he built you. He knows what he's called you to. And he's with you as you do. And you are perfectly prepared for everything that God has called you to. But here's a common misconception. That only the leaders have responsibilities in ministry and mission. After all, look, this passage talks about leaders. Look, Paul was a leader. Apollos was a leader. You just said leaders have special talents and gifts and abilities. Yeah, all people do. Not necessarily for leadership among the body, but all of us have responsibilities in ministry within the church and the mission outside. The leaders, these are another misconception. The leaders are on the field and the rest of us are in the stands. No, there are no stands. There is no audience in the kingdom of God. The leaders are the actors and the rest of us are the audience. Absolutely not true. Common misconception, though. This is not how God intends it. God uses all people because without all people, the entire body of Christ, the church cannot advance. The gospel cannot advance. The kingdom of God will not advance in our area without all people, all Christians, working together saying, here I am, Lord, send me. And using the gifts, the abilities, the passions that he's given them in ministry and mission. It takes everybody. It does take the leaders, absolutely. As we see in our text, Paul and Apollos and others have important ministries that they have to keep moving to get it done. God has called them to this. Uh, Paul moved into new cities and was gifted in proclaiming the gospel in hostile environments, making new disciples, training leaders, establishing local churches. Man, I couldn't do even a fraction of what Paul does. He was gifted for the specific ministry he was called to. Apollos was able to proclaim and defend the gospel, to debate scholars and strengthen the church even after Paul had moved through. Uh, that was what he was gifted with, prepared for, so that he could go and do these things God had called him to. And these are, are things, uh, there are things, though, that countless other necessities, countless other things that could not be done if not for the people on the ground. Perhaps we, or the people in Corinth or Ephesus or all these other places, we're not gifted in the same way as Paul and Apollos, could not do the same things. But there are other things for them to do. What about when Paul and then Apollos were not there? What about the need to spread the gospel in the context where church leaders like that didn't go? What about the ministry among and between believers that was too huge a, path, a, a task for any one ministry leader or pastor or elder or deacon? The only way the church ministers to each other well and are on mission well together 
is if all the players are on the field. What isn't mentioned in our passage, but is obvious and necessary, if we really think about it, is this. It was all the believers in these cities. They all had a significant role to play. And we see this in Paul's letters. Maybe we didn't see it in this particular Acts passage, but Paul is clear on this as he writes to churches in these areas. For instance, he was just, we were just reading of Ephesus and Corinth. So let me read you a passage from Ephesians and 1 Corinthians. Here's what Ephesians 2, 8 through 10 says. Paul's own words. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It's the gift of God, not by work, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Hear that, friends. We're not saved by our works, right? We're saved by grace through faith. But in that, in receiving that grace through faith, in being made into a new creation by Jesus, we have been equipped for good works, to do things, to be active, to ministry and mission that God planned in advance for us to do. We are to live up to that which God has asked us, commanded us to do. That, he says to the Ephesians, here's what he says to the Corinthian church, 1 Corinthians 12, 4 through 11. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. Now to each one, the manifestation of the spirit is given for the common good. To one, there's given the spirit of uh, uh, by the Spirit, a message of wisdom, to another, a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit, to another, faith by the same Spirit, to another, gifts of healing by that one Spirit, to another, miraculous powers, to another, prophecy, to another, distinguishing between spirits, uh, to another, speaking in different kinds of tongues, and still to another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same Spirit, and he distributes them to each one just as he determines. This is tied together with that other passage where he talks about all the members of the church as one body, although every person is a different body part. He's saying the same thing in two different ways. We're all gifted completely differently. We may have the same gifts in different measure. We may have this gift like you have, but paired with this one while you have it paired with this one. We're all made differently. We're all gifted differently because God has called all of us to ministry and to mission And when we all plug in together, we are well prepared as the body of Christ to do all he has called us to do. And so I thank God for raising up leaders. I thank God for my leaders. I thank God for our church's leaders. I thank God for our denominational leaders. I thank God for the other leaders in our community among the churches. But it takes all of us, every believer, to be able to do the work that God has called the church to do right here at Belglade and around the world. So how does our passage and our reflections on it inform us as a congregation? How, what ought we to be doing? Not everybody's called to be in a position of leadership within any church, right? But we're all called to use what God has given us for ministry. And we're all called to be in relationship to leaders, either to be a leader or to follow a leader. So here's just some things for us to think about. First and foremost, be thankful to God 
that he's got things well in hand. Be thankful to God that he provides leaders. And one of the ways in which we thank God for establishing our leaders, our elders, our governing board, our deacons, our deaconesses, our denominational leaders who we don't even know their names, is by praying for them. Giving thanks to God and praying for those that he has put in positions of leadership to guide us into God's will. Pray for our leaders. Be thankful to God. Be willing to be led by our leaders. We live in a country where that is not always looked at well. You know, we talk bad about leaders in various different venues of our life. Uh, We try to get away with things. Uh, when our leaders are not present, that's true whether you're talking about a child and their parents or you're talking about all the workplace. You know, we don't live in a culture that particularly uh, respects the whole idea of leadership and following our leaders. But God calls us to do that, trusting that he has put those leaders in place to guide ministry and mission forward as he calls. Be willing to answer a call to leadership in any area that God has called you. I guarantee you there are more leaders in this church than people who are in positions in this church. Let me say that another way. I'm sure that there, is, there are people in this church who God has called to leadership who don't even know it, are not listening for it, or who have turned it down. There might be new things coming. Perhaps God has not called you to leadership, but he's calling you for the next season. And so be willing to listen to the Lord. Be willing to say, Lord, here I am. Send me. Use me. Because God may be calling you to various areas of leadership. In fact, there may be things that you need to lead that are not even ministries of this church yet. And we just talked about watch groups, people who are going to host others to be able to go through a gospel-centered video series. Maybe that's you. Maybe there's something that, a way that we can reach our community better, some outreach, a clothing ministry, I don't know, a food ministry, uh, an ESL program, something. I don't know what it is, but maybe God has gifted you and called you for specifically that task. And so maybe you don't fit the mold of something we already have here, but maybe God has called you to start something new to make an impact in this community. Recognize that there's plenty of work to be done by all of us and be willing to serve together toward the ministry and mission of this church. Maybe God hasn't called you to a position of leadership, but you know there's something you could do in the meantime, something your leaders can't necessarily do because their time is, is like Paul, to call to specific tasks, and there's a way that you could help. Discern your talents, your skills, your experience, your passions, your spiritual gifts, those things that God has uniquely wired you for. And find a way, any way, to serve in those areas where you are strong. These are just some of the things we could do, friends, as we try to live out what God has demonstrated for us here in the church's past and the way in which God works among his people even today.